We are continuing our series called He is Coming, a look at First and Second Thessalonians. We are doing this series all through summer because, as I said, there's eight chapters and there's eight weeks when we started, so it just seemed like it fit. We would do it. Uh, and the major theme that we have seen time and time again throughout First Thessalonians is the fact that Jesus is returning. And Paul keeps coming back to this. At the end of every chapter, he comes back to it, and he says this should impact the way we live, this should impact the way we interact with one another, this is the hope of our salvation, this is the good news, that life, this is not all there is to life, that there is eternity waiting for us, and our hope is that just as Jesus ascended into heaven, he is coming back once again to reunite us with him for all of eternity. And so for the first three chapters, Paul has been writing to this young church that he didn't spend much time with. And he's concerned that the persecution is too much. The challenges are too overwhelming. And so he is writing to them as a concerned pastor, but he probably more accurately, he's concerned as a father to his kids. How are you doing with the pressures of life? How are you doing with the pressures of everything that's going on and the added persecution and hardship that you guys are facing? How are you doing? And last, ch- and last week we saw that Timothy actually came and gave good reports. And actually they're doing really good. They are loving people. They are stepping into the things that you have called them to step into. But he does have one concern that he communicates. And in chapter 4, we're going to see Paul kind of change tones from this concerned father to the teacher and the apostle. And he wants to fill in some gaps for them. And he wants to encourage them to continue to grow and step into new and bigger things, to continue to step into this calling that God has put on their life. And he kicks off chapter 4 right where he left off in chapter 3, and he picks up the topic of holiness. And this is what Paul says, verses 1 to 8 in chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you would know that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, that not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, Paul, a big chunk of scripture, but the big thing that I hope you saw right out of the gate, Paul says to this church, is that this is God's will for you that you would be sanctified. God's will for you is your sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, it's a really fancy way. The literal translation is the process of becoming holy. And that word holiness and holy has so often been misunderstood. We have so often looked at holiness as 
if you are holy if you stay away from this laundry list of quote-unquote bad deeds. If you just don't sin, then you are holy. And that's And that is a big killjoy, that is a big problem, because if we're just trying to avoid the wrong things and avoid the wrong actions, you very quickly stop living, because you don't want to make a mistake, you don't want to stop being holy. So in in case, just to avoid ever doing anything wrong, we just don't do anything. And that's not the holiness that the Bible speaks of, that's not what Paul is talking about. It's not what Jesus talked about when he says, be holy because I am holy. It's not, that is not it. In order for us, the easiest way I could think for us to understand holiness is we go all the way back to the Old Testament. It's one of the first things God ever called holy. And in order to, and so we're going to go back to the tabernacle. We go back to the temple. And in the tabernacle and the temple, these are the places of worship throughout the Old Testament. And in these buildings were items and tools that were used for the purpose of worship and so there were scoops and there were there was incense and there was robes and there's all candlesticks and all of these things were necessary in order for the israelites to worship god the way that god had taught them to and the one thing god says over and over again about these articles in the tabernacle and in the temple is they are holy and what god is saying about these things is that these items and these articles were set apart for amazing purposes they were set apart that they were not they were to be used to enhance the worship of the people of israel and they were not to be used as common their priests could not just throw on the robes to you know go take out the garbage or to do something mundane that robe was set apart it was special and it could only be used for certain times of worship it couldn't even be used for all worship just certain times of worship because it was holy it was set apart it had a special use a special purpose it could not be used for common things And so we take that understanding and we apply it to our lives. And what Paul is saying to the church when he's saying to each and every one of us is that you are holy. You are set apart for great things. God has a calling for you. You are here at this time in this place for a reason. God has a plan and you're a part of it. And and the majority of our life is figuring out what our role is to play. Now, as I was preparing, I kept saying that you are called to glorious purpose. And I was thinking about it, I was like, that phrasing seems wrong. Why does that, and I realized, if you've ever seen a Marvel movie, it's the one thing Loki keeps saying. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Loki's the bad guy. Okay, he's the villain, and he keeps saying that he's called to glorious purpose. So we're not using that terminology, okay? If it was, what have been Captain America, we're good. But not Loki, Loki's the bad guy. So you're called to great things. You are called to bigger things that you can accomplish on your own. You are called to do eternal things. And because you have this great calling, and because you have been set apart for amazing things that is supernatural in nature, you are also called to not live a common life. You are called to live an exceptional life, a life that stands out, that is Well, (laughs) that is burdened with glorious purpose. Loki just says it so good. I can't get away from it. 
And so, as holy people, it's not about just avoiding the wrong things, it's actually stepping into the right things. John Bervere talks about how there is good things in life and there are the God things in life. And we so often get distracted by the good things that we forget to do the God things. Well, you have been called to some God thing that only you can accomplish with your skills, your passions, your personality. And so we need to discover what that is. What is the thing that you are set apart to do? What is the thing that you are holy for? And when we discover what that is, we discover that maybe we need to stay away from the common things of life. And what Paul says, and what Paul keys in on about the common is that for those who don't believe in Jesus, for those who do not know who God is, one of the common things is this area of sexual immorality. And he says, you are not, you are called to understand your body and relationships and sexuality, not as everybody else, but as the way that God has defined it in his word, the way that God has defined it in his teachings. You are called to a higher understanding. You're called to embrace these things in a new and a better way, a way that is going to enhance your relationships, going to enhance your marriage, going to enhance your ability to interact with one another, and more importantly, to interact with your God. You are holy. And so Paul says, stay away from this immorality. Stay away from these impurities and embrace the good things that God has for you. You are set apart. And because you're set apart, there are a couple areas that you should do differently. So Paul says the first one he keys in on is, is sexuality and relationships. You should do that differently because you're holy. And the next section, starting in verse 9, he's going to talk about two more. And one we've talked about lots, and the other one is a very interesting take on it, but I think it's something we can learn from. So starting in verse 9, Paul says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, a.k.a. mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So Paul says, you, because you are holy, because you're set apart, you're going to approach love differently, and you're going to approach work differently. And love is something we've talked about lots in First Thessalonians. Paul keeps coming back to this, and he keeps celebrating the church. You guys are so good at loving others. You guys are exceptional. You've done the hard work. You love people better than anyone else loves people. You're so good at that. But he keeps teaching them. He's like, but keep doing it more. Keep loving others more. Keep loving each other better. Keep growing in this area. In the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we saw that this church, even though Paul had spent much time with them, they were having this huge impact. Their story was spreading throughout the province and beyond the province of Macedonia. And we learned is that one of the reasons it's spreading so fast is that this church is loving 
the other believers. They're loving the other churches in the province. Well, when you love people well, when you serve people well, people tell your story. People celebrate you. They're like, this person has got it figured out. They're they're so generous. They're so loving. They're so kind and good. And so people are bragging about this church. These guys, they just, they love so well. They love more and more. And so Paul's saying, you're doing good, but you can continue to do better. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weary. Don't slow down, but continue to grow in this. Continue to get better and better. And then he switches gears. He starts talking about work. And what does he say about work? He says, work hard and mind your own business. And keep your head down. Live quietly, he says. And what does he mean by live quietly? He's like, don't draw attention to yourself. Now, Thessalonians probably didn't need to hear this. Remember, this church is birthed out of persecution. They've got all way too much attention as it is. They're getting beaten. They're getting, getting robbed. They're getting, mis- they're getting abused because of their faith in Christ. They don't want any more attention. And so Paul says, you already know this, but keep your heads down. Don't draw any unnecessary attention because you're just going to make the persecution worse. But for us, we live in this day where social media and all kinds of stuff is designed to draw attention to yourself. And Paul is saying, no, don't draw unnecessary attention to yourself. Keep your head down, work hard, do not be dependent on anyone. Don't be dependent on banks, don't go and unnecessary amounts of debt don't be dependent on don't be dependent on anyone work hard do your job well live within your means so that you can hold your head up high not only amongst your brothers but in your community and when you live this holy set apart exceptional life and when you work hard and do the things that god has called you to do you're already going to draw attention because you're going to be different you're going to be exceptional He said, you don't need to, hey, look at me. They're already looking. They're already seeing you. They already know something's different. And we see throughout scripture that that is actually going to be the thing that draws people, not only to you, but they're going to draw people to the church and draw people to Jesus because you are working not from only your own strength, your own emotion, but from the supernatural gifting that the spirit of God who dwells within you is giving you. You don't love like everybody else because you have a supernatural love that flows out of you. You don't have, you're not settling for being happy like everybody else because you have the joy of the Lord that surpasses all understanding. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding flowing within you and through you and people are going to see it. You're not going to have to be like, hey, look at me. They're already seeing you. You're already exceptional. You're already blazing the trail so this is what holiness does and when we're holy and we work in light of that paul also said in philippians that you should do all things to the glory of the lord do all things in the name of the lord and so you don't do things half-heartedly you don't do things lazily you do things to god's glory and to god's to lift god's name higher than every other name and the and this is all said Holiness, working, loving, all this teaching is funneling to the same spot Paul takes every single chapter. It's all in light 
of the fact that Jesus is going to return one day. So starting in verse 13, Paul's going to bring us back to this idea, this theme that Christ is going to return. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, but those about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with, him in the, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I started the message by saying that Timothy brought a good report to Paul, but there's one concern, and this was it. There are some people within the church who had passed away, and the church was worried about these people who had died because Jesus hadn't returned, and they died, so does that mean they're going to miss the resurrection? Does that mean they're going to miss the return of Christ? Did they go too soon? And they were so worried about these people that they were actually overwhelmed with grief to the point of not they stopped serving. They stopped being involved in the life of the church and in the lives of their neighbors. They were so grieved that they had lost brothers and sisters and they were worried that they were going to miss out. And one of this, this is one of those things that Paul was with them for such a short time that he didn't actually fill in this gap. And so he's writing to them now as their teacher, as their pastor, and he's filling in this gap of understanding, filling in this hole that they have missed. He says, no, 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 no. Those who have passed away, those who have died, they actually are going to resur- they're actually going to rise and meet Jesus first. They're going to precede us. They're going to meet Jesus in the air, and then we who are alive in Christ will catch up. And he describes the coming of the Lord as Jesus talks about it as a thief in the night, that we, if you had known the thief was coming, you would not have allowed your house to be robbed, right? So there's signs, there's ways to know that the return of Christ is soon. But Paul says, when that day comes, there's going to be a cry of the archangel, the trumpet is going to sound, you're going to know it. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And this is the hope of our faith. This is the hope that when Jesus returns, whether if you're alive, we get to see it all come. If you are dead, you get to go first. You get to be reunited with Christ first. You don't miss it. The hope is Christ is returning, and we know that's coming because it's spoken of throughout Scripture so abundantly. And he says the other hope is that you will be resurrected you are not going to miss it and the reason we can be so confident in the resurrection is because jesus was resurrected and the same spirit that rose him from the dead now dwells within each and every one of us that same power that same ability each and every one of us no one will miss it all will be reunited enjoying with christ for 
all of eternity. This is the hope. This is the thing that we hold on to. And this is the reason that we live holy lives. This is the reason we live set apart lives because our lives do not, are not just for today. We don't just live for the moment, but we live knowing that our actions and our words and our interactions could have eternal consequence, could have eternal reward. And so we don't live in light of today, we live in light of eternity. We talked about this. We said that one day you will stand before Jesus, and are you going to be ready? Are you going to be proud of the life that you live, or is there going to be things you're going to try and hide? We live not in light of today. We don't just live for the moment. YOLO does not apply to us because we know that eternity awaits. And so this calling that you have, the holiness that God has called you to, is to have this eternal impact on your neighbors, on your families, on your communities, wherever you are, this calling is going to change people, not just today, but forever. You are holy. And not only are you holy, but you are being made holy. This is what sanctification is. You are sanctified and being sanctified day in, day out, constantly being refined. And one of the reasons, <laughs> I'm going to come back to Loki. Loki has this new series on Disney, and some people argue that, well, he's a good guy. If you haven't seen the series, don't worry about it. But it's like, well, he's a good guy now, right? No, Loki is still the bad guy. He's just less bad than the real bad guy, right? He's, he's still evil. He's still selfish. He's still trying to accomplish his own. He's just less evil than the guy that he's up against. And we so often gauge our holiness and our spiritual walk that way. Well, I'm good because look at this person. They're doing so bad. They're, they're, it's a comparison game, right? We... we you know, and the Olympics, we got the Olympics going on, it's competitive, and that's the big thing. We're comparing these athletes one to another to determine who's the best and who's going to win, and da-da-da-da-da. We are so ingrained in our society to compare, and we use comparison as the gauge of, well, oh, I'm doing good, or I'm doing bad, I could do better, I could do worse. I'm not doing that bad, though. <laughs> And the only comparison, the only gauge that really matters is Christ himself. Why? Because if we want to spend eternity with him, we should gauge ourselves by the one person who actually made it. Not by everybody else, but by the Jesus who set the example of what a life spirit-led, spirit-empowered looked like when he was here and the gospels we have and the account of his life that we Set the example for each and every one of us. We are not the gauge for each other. Christ is the gauge. So how are we doing with him? And this is why Paul says we need to draw closer and closer to him every day. We need to be sanctified. We need to be made holy because we draw nearer and nearer to Jesus' example every day that we allow the Spirit to sanctify and refine us. You are holy. And you are being made holy. And so my prayer for each and every one of us is that you would allow the Spirit to speak to you this week, refine you, 
as uh, James says, allow the word of God to be the mirror for your life to point out those things that need to be worked on and allow the spirit to do the good work of making you everything you need to be to live out the calling that God has placed on your life. And if you don't know what your calling is, then that's a good place to start this week. To just take time, quiet yourself and say, hey God, I know I'm here for a reason. I know I'm here for such a time as this. What is my part to play? And if you still don't know after that, come talk to me. I'll find you a part. I'll find you a role. There's lots of roles. I will get you plugged in somewhere. I'm happy to do it. Okay. Um, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for... God, I thank you for this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. This letter of a heartfelt father concerned for the church as a pastor writing to his, his flock, teaching and, in, and encouraging them to not settle for where they are, but to continue to grow, to grow in their love, to grow in their ability, to grow in their calling, and to grow in their holiness. God, I pray that this week that we would hold on to that, those words in the first couple of verses, that your will for us is that we would be sanctified, that we would be made holy and set apart for the good things that you have called us to. Father, I pray that for those who don't know, I pray that you would speak over them and show them how their gifts and their talents come together for the calling that you have placed on their life. And for those of us who do know, I pray that we are reminded that we would become more focused and more, more focused on this thing that you have called us to do, to do the good work that you have set us apart for. Jesus, I thank you that you have placed an exceptional vision on each and every one of us. That you have not called us to be common, but to be supernatural, to be uncommon, to be exceptional. We are destined for glorious purpose. And I pray that we would step into that and embrace it with all of our life. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you are a God who draws near. You are a God who calls. And I pray, God, that we are sensitive to your voice this week. Be with us as we go. Bless everyone who is here. Bless everyone who is listening. Pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.